See You Now is a podcast highlighting the innovative and human-centered solutions that nurses are coming up with to solve for today's most challenging healthcare problems. Created in collaboration with Johnson & Johnson and the American Nurses Association and hosted by nurse economist and health tech specialist, Shauna Butler. Right now, there's 54,000 CRNAs in the country and we as black CRNAs represent just less than 2% of that. We were able to mentor 577 nurses of color, get into 82 nurse anesthesia programs and graduated from those programs in the last 15 years. So I'm very excited about that. Welcome to See You Now. I'm Shauna Butler. Diversity and inclusion. We're hearing and talking about it a lot and for good reason. An array of research points to how business, economic, and cultural value improves when diversity is fostered. And when it comes to health and healthcare, diversity is incredibly important. So important, in fact, that lives literally depend on it. Think of the countless individuals seeking care daily in all of our clinics, pharmacies, hospitals, schools, and all manner of healthcare setting. They include people from every race, religion, country, gender, age, ability, political affiliation, education, and with a range of language abilities. And to best communicate, understand, and build trust, it is vital that patients see people in the healthcare workforce who look, speak, eat, pray, and live like they do. And yet, our healthcare workforce is far from diverse, representative of our population, or a reflection of our communities and the people that we take care of. Our healthcare workforce is in fact highly homogenous, and that's a problem. A representation pipeline problem that takes root early on in our education settings and results from long-standing structural inequities. In this episode, we meet a nurse anesthetist who experienced that representation pipeline problem she discovered the root and scope of the situation and set out on an innovation mission that is having a scalable impact, one that can be applied across all of healthcare. I'm Dr. Lena Gould. I am the founder and CEO of the Diversity Nurse Anesthesia Mentorship Program. I am all about change. And it all started from being a single mom on welfare and being homeless. I just wanted to, first of all, learn a little bit more about nurse anesthesia and mm -hmm. certified nurse anesthetists. First of all, am I saying it correctly? We can be identified by three names. One will be really easy CRNA, right? And that means certified registered nurse anesthetist. The other one is nurse anesthetist. And that's what we've been going as since 1931, nurse anesthetist. But very recently, the AANA is adopting the name of a nurse anesthesiologist. So that's very new, but any one of them out of that three is acceptable in our profession. And background to mm -hmm. nurse anesthesia, where they practice, who they take care of, what mm -hmm. role they play in a surgical care team. Right. Can you provide some, some color to that? Right. We administer anesthesia 
for patients that are having either scheduled procedures or something that may happen in any type of emergent case. For example, like someone having a stat C-section or someone coming from the ER going directly to the OR for maybe um, someone having a AAA or they broke their arm or something like that. So we're able to administer anesthesia in obstetrics and orthopedic anesthesia. We could do robotics. We can do anesthesia for cases that involve vascular. There are regional anesthesia that, that, that we can do as well that involves spinal administration or epidurals. We can do regional blocks. So we're able to, to do that as well. And also there are procedures where we have to administer for sedation purposes, for example, colonoscopies, something of that nature. But we're trained to do all types of anesthesia when it comes to patient care. That is a broad range of activities. Mm -hmm. So those would be in our acute care settings, in the outpatient clinic settings. Mm -hmm. Are there any settings where nurses are providing anesthesia care that maybe we wouldn't have thought about? Well, also there are nurse nurses that are in the military. And we offer anesthesia to our men and women that are outside of the country in battlefields where we deliver anesthesia independently. A lot of community members don't know about that, but we've been doing that for decades. Out of 124 nurse anesthesia programs, there are three nurse anesthesia programs that train those that are in the military that are going into nurse anesthesia. So it's really exciting, very exciting. Lena, you know an awful lot about right. our nurse anesthesia programs right. <laughs> and the diversity numbers. Mm-hmm. And increasingly, the conversation, it's getting louder. It's been there, but it's getting louder and it's growing in importance about the value and the benefits of diversity and inclusion across our entire workforce. Mm-hmm. And you have a very specific focus and lens on anesthesia. Can you walk through from the standpoint of um, your journey and Mm -hmm. a little bit of like introducing yourself of how did you become aware of the lack of diversity and the value and the benefit of diversity specifically in anesthesia care? Okay, so it's a difficult climb. And I'll be honest with you, it's a difficult climb for nurses of color to get into nurse anesthesia. And it doesn't just present itself at the graduate level. It, It starts at the undergraduate level. For example, when I was an undergraduate student, very young, I was one of the um, teenage mom that graduated with, with my son from high school and um, had him. But it wasn't until 14 months later, because he was 14 months old, I was uh, put out of my home with him and suddenly was found homeless for three months, for three months. So that was very difficult and dark time for me. So every day, uh, uh, you know, I had to... Um, go to the housing department every single day I knocked on that door and asked them if the application was still being considered for uh, for an apartment. And they said no. And I, I knocked on that door every single day for three months. But as soon as they said no, I just went right up to the library. I just took my son to the library. We just stayed there all day. And I would just take out books all the time. So at, at the end of that third month, finally, they said there was an apartment that was available. And I, and I took it <laughs> immediately. And then three months later, 
I was able to enroll into a university, Fairleigh Dickinson University in Teaneck, New Jersey. And they did have a nursing major there. But the problem for me was I didn't have access to a car. So you need a car in order to go to these different clinical sites for nursing. So I wasn't able to major in nursing at all. So I I just decided I was going to go right into business and go into accounting specifically. And then once I graduated from school, I did exactly that. I was an auditor in um, Park Avenue in New York City, did that for a year and decided that this was not for me. I, I had just got married and decided in June, right after we got married in June, in September, I was going back to school. What I always wanted to do and that was nursing. Hmm. That was nursing. And I loved it. And I never looked back since that time. But my again, my first position was an OR nurse. And it was just amazing to see not just CRNAs that was in the operating room, but there was a Black CRNA who was the chief nurse anesthetist. And I was so intrigued by her and the position that she had. And I just seen someone that looked like me and I wanted to be just like her. So it wasn't until a couple of years later, I decided to leave the OR. So I went from the OR to doing telemetry. And then from there, I went into trauma. So from trauma, that's when I went into the nurse anesthesia program. And once I was accepted into the program, I knew right away that there was an issue when it came to diversity. Because at that time, they don't do this anymore, but this was 2002, and this is Philadelphia. They had what they called a shared teaching curriculum, right? So mm-hmm. my our program at LaSalle University, University of Penn, Drexel, Villanova, we would go to each other's campuses, and they have one professor that would teach OB anesthesia, or another professor, nurse anesthesia professor that would teach regional anesthesia or pediatric anesthesia. So we went to each other's campuses, but we had these large classrooms. But in in that large classroom, you're sitting in this class, and you're seeing all these different cohorts in the same classroom with you, but you're also seeing that that most of the people sitting in that classroom didn't look like me. So there were just few of us. When I say us, I'm talking about students of color in each of those programs at at those different institutions. And also all of those nurse anesthesia professors were all white. There were no CRNA faculty of color. During that time when all of this was going on, we had to do a poster project and it had to be anything anesthesia related. So I wanted to know about the racial and the ethnic composition of not just what was going on in Philadelphia, but nationally. And so I got information from the AANA, the American Association of Nurse Nestors, and I polled the nurse anesthesia students in from each of the program. And I was able to look at the composition in the Philadelphia area as far as students and what the what it was nationally. I put that on my post and posters downstairs in my office, just hanging up in a frame. But if you look at on the left side of that bar graph and on the right side of the the other posters, another bar graph of the national in the Philadelphia area, and they both mirrored each other, meaning that we CRNAs of color, nurse anesthesia students of color were severely underrepresented in, in the profession. 
When you and, say severely underrepresented, can you mm-hmm. give us a number? How, right. how big so, is this problem? So, okay, in 2002, there were, I believe it was 37,000 uh, CRNAs. Right now, today, there's 54,000. So at that time, the African-American or you know, Black uh, CRNAs at the time was, I think it was 1%. Right now, it's 1.8, according to the AANA. So it's under two percent. It's under 2%, but that's just that's in the black community. In in the Hispanic community, it was like 2.3. And that was the highest at all of the groups that were underrepresented. So, you know, I'm looking at this number and I'm just like, wow, you know, there's something not right here. You know, this is a problem. And I approached Dr. Art Swirling, program director at University of Penn Nurse Anesthesia Program. And I said, I think, you know, there's something definitely wrong. And he told me, he said, well, why don't you go to an AANA meeting this year? And I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what that meant. But I did know that AANA annual meeting, that's where CRNAs from across the country, nurse anesthesia students would come and we, you know, you you would hear presentations, you will hear about advocacy. So when I went there that first day in Boston, and I would never forget it, when I walked into the main lobby, there was an elderly Black woman who was sitting at a chair and there was a cane next to it, but there was a long line, a very long line of people and they were all CRNAs and they were in line to shake her hand. And I said, who is that? And they said, that's Goldie Bragman. And I said, oh, I said, but who is that? Because I didn't know. And no one mentioned her name. No one mentioned her name. I'm talking about the professors. They didn't, the nurse, nurse anesthesia faculty did not mention her name at all whatsoever. So I didn't even know that she was the past president of the AANA back in 1973. And she was the first and only black president of the AANA. And she was also the program director at Harlem School of Anesthesia for 36 years. So I was beside myself when I learned about her. So I got on that line and I shook her hand and I told her that I was so excited to, to meet her. That was the very first time I had I even um, heard about her and that uh, to, for, for me being a black, black woman and you know to see her accomplish so much within the profession that I knew what my purpose was. Next thing you know, even before I graduated, word got out that I was helping other nurses talk to them about the admission process and the rigors of the program and how to balance family and finances and all of that. So so Mm -hmm. it wasn't until maybe three or four years later, we went from a local effort to a regional mentorship program to now what it is nationally. It wasn't until like three or four years later after graduating from school, I had I knew that I was on to something and I had to make this into a nonprofit organization. So again, it went from local effort to regional mentorship to national organization. And I love it. I mean, from that poster presentation to what it is now, we were able to mentor 577 nurses of color get into 80 two nurse anesthesia programs and graduated from those programs in the last 15 years. So I'm very excited about that. That's an amazing origin story of the diversity in nurse anesthesia mentorship program. And Mm -hmm. I, it's, I think it speaks to several things. One is the value of research. And when you start researching how that can lead to many things, innovation, um, Mm -hmm change in programs, change in policies and regulation, mm-hmm. inspiring other uh, other leaders or inspiring people to look at other pathways. Right. And it's just, uh, 
you must sit back at this moment and think, wow, at that moment in time, I certainly didn't see this coming. Or maybe it was all in your grand vision. I shouldn't, I shouldn't presuppose that you didn't have a grand vision. I didn't know that a poster project would turn into something that would just change the face and culture of nurse anesthesia as we knew it. But since that time, I've had great mentors like Dr. Art Swirling, Goldie Bragman. Uh, she mm-hmm. just died last year. <laughs> but, you know, she told me about her struggle back in 1951 when she started the program during the Jim Crow era. These are segregated schools, by the way. There were segregated schools in, in nursing schools, segregated schools, uh, almost in, like in nurse anesthesia programs, too. And, you know, she had a diverse, she had always, every single year, had a diverse student cohort, and her faculty was very diverse. So she went through a lot. And if I could just go back before she even became president of the AANA, she took care of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in 1958. He did a book signing in Harlem. And it was a Black woman that actually did this. She ended up stabbing Dr. Martin Luther King in his chest. So he needed to go to the nearest hospital, and that was Harlem Hospital, where Goldie Bragman worked at. And she was on call that day. So she ended up taking care of him and giving him anesthesia. Here I am being mentored by an incredible pioneering woman such as that. And she was another one that would tell me, Lena, I want you to do more. And I know you can. She wanted everybody to make a difference after you graduate from the nurse anesthesia program. So, I mean, I had someone like that to mentor me. And I think the success of the program is because of the CRNA mentors that I had very, very early on in my own career. So is the program successful? Yes. But I know that I had somebody else to inspire me to to just go ahead and keep doing things that no one else is doing. And that's what I did. You had great teachers, and clearly that has translated itself into the program that you've created and the spirit and mm-hmm. the, the, the approach that you have. We didn't have anyone growing up saying, you need to go into nursing, maybe perhaps even consider nurse anesthesia. A lot of us found out about nurse anesthesia later on in life, and that's why we do go to the HBCU schools of nursing. We do go to the Hispanic Serving Institution schools of nursing. It's, it's actually called Diversity CRNA School of Nursing Tour. So we make an effort. We go to the school, talk to the students about going into nurse anesthesia and what are your next steps after you leave this school? Because representation matters. It's, it's important that they see us and they talk to us because again, in, when I was in nursing school, not one professor said anything, mentioned anything about nurse anesthesia to us. That's how you change the trajectory by at least giving them information and also access to us. So that just right there is just about planting seeds. That's it. That's how you do it. Yes, it's about increasing representation, but it's it's about relationship building. And if we could start that relationship much earlier and get them involved in making sure that that trajectory is, is in front of them instead of them trying to navigate it on their own, then I think we can definitely do something much bigger. Why is it a problem? when you don't have a diverse workforce in anesthesia. I mean, you know, in, in, in looking at the surface of it, you might think, well, most times, you know, if people are anesthetized, they're asleep. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're not aware. But it clearly has an impact on care, right. on outcomes, on comfort. Can you 
go through, I mean, what you have learned as, as to why it is so important that we have diversity in the nurse anesthesia workforce? There are people in our communities that are bilingual. And so are nurse anesthetists of color who are bilingual. For example, we have CRNA mentors that are from Cameroon. They are bilingual. They speak English and French. And it's very important that if they are there present, uh, given anesthesia to Cameroonian patient population that's out here, they're able to speak to them in their own language. And they could talk to them about their anesthesia and they could talk to them about what to expect afterwards. They can address, you know, things right away. Or another instance of somebody was from Puerto Rico and they're Puerto Rican um, CRNAs that are out here that, that work in New York and in Florida and California and New Jersey. And they're giving anesthesia to patient population that speaks Spanish. There are CRNAs that are here of color that are Muslim and uh, some of them speak Arabic. Now, how important is that uh, in a community, especially if there's a community that's out here that speak Arabic? You, you feel a lot more comfortable in the delivery of your care, knowing that somebody that either looks like you or that you can communicate uh, very effectively, not just with them, but with their family. Right. All of that relates to positive outcomes, all of it. Let's talk about the Diversity in Nurse Mentorship Program. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear a description of what it includes mm-hmm. and how it's achieving its mission to make sure that you're you know, informing and empowering and mentoring underserved right. diverse populations. The bulk of what we do is for the nurses that, um, that are interested in nurse anesthesia. They're all motivated. By, they're all motivated, by the way, but they just need proper direction. That's it, right? So um, on the weekends, and this is pre-COVID, we would have a what I call diversity CRNA information session in airway workshop. So that weekend, I would invite four program directors, nurse anesthesia program directors from different schools, and they would just talk about their specific program. We'll have mock interviews. We'll pre-select six nurses who are about to apply. They're, they're uh, being critiqued uh, in by the nurse anesthesia program directors, but in front of almost like 150 people. We'll have maybe one or two CRNAs that would give presentations. Uh, the last panel would be the nurse anesthesia students, and they're primarily of color from different nurse anesthesia programs, different backgrounds, backgrounds meaning that, okay, you have one that's single that's in the program, you have someone that's military uh, that's in the program, and they'll talk about their military experience, or you'll have somebody that's married and have children or single and have children. And, and I have to keep mindful of that because I don't want everybody the same person talking about the same thing. You know, because there are nurses that are, that are coming to this event from across the country that have those different interests and they want to talk to different people. Um, we also have personal statements, too. We'll, we'll review their personal statements, uh, read it and critique it. Once they're in, they're introduced to somebody else that's currently enrolled or graduated from their program. Their network has increased. So it, it's, it's very, very important that we, we build on upon that relationship. And that also means for nurses, too that, I mean, CRNAs that are interested in going back to school for their doctorate or CRNAs that are interested in becoming pain management experts. We know who they need to be introduced to or what programs that they should apply to. So from that day that they go to that event, I mean, it's not just saying here's the information and good luck. We still follow them. And that's what it's all about. 
Only thing that we want you to do is once you're finished is to volunteer and um, mentor others too, because we can't do this by ourselves. Right. Well, and, and the other part too, is that that's the way to scale it. So um, right. you've built this program that is based on let's identify uh, those candidates and introduce them to this possibility. Let's right. build the awareness of what this specialty, what this care looks like. Mm -hmm. um, let's, let's give them a dose of reality of the rigor of this program and what's going to be involved to be successful that then gives them preparation for being an interesting and, and uh, an eligible candidate and then helping right. to identify the schools that they would go to and then developing that network. And then the, I think that the part that I'm really excited about is, you know, getting in is tough, but completing that's mm -hmm. where I think we find that, that nurses can't complete for any number of reasons. Right. And so having that support that you've built in and mm -hmm. then the next step on that is that once you have achieved those goals, how do you um, continue to build the network by being a part of the support who's going to be the 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 next Lena, Dr. Lena G's, right? <laughs> right, right, right. The the culture changes now these CRNAs that came through our diversity program, graduated from all these other different nurse anesthesia programs from across the country, they are also now being hired as chief CRNAs. They're being hired as clinical coordinators. They're being hired as faculty, nurse anesthesia mm -hmm. faculty. They're military officers in, in, in giving anesthesia uh, to our troops. They're owners of their own anesthesia companies. So it's very, very, very exciting. And, and now, like I said, my, main, uh, my next focus is to make sure that next level is to increase PhD CRNAs, to increase pain management experts and simulation experts, because they're not out here. You, you've mentioned a couple of times planting seeds of change, sowing those seeds of change um, about a culture change. And you clearly have the language and the voice and the drive of an innovator. I mean, when you think about innovation, how do you describe that to this, to these seeds that you've been planting and how they're going to have a role in driving innovation? Well, the innovation is definitely you, you, you're addressing a need. You're addressing some sort of gap that needs to be filled. But when, when I talk about innovation, it's about diversity. And a lot of people think, well, you know, you, you, you definitely want representation. I want representation, but there's the other side and it's called equity. One thing I didn't talk about yet was we were hit last year with the pandemic and we're still living with that. So uh, that changed, it didn't change our focus. It's just changed how we're going to do it programmatically, but how are we going to still do that and maintain that connection? You know, so we had to convert our face-to-face -face event to online content. And that meant that we had a really quickly, we had a higher IT specialist when we do our Zoom events. So it's pretty amazing now because our diversity CRNA event that we had on the weekends, we can probably, the max that we can accept is 140 uh, nurses that come to our event. It's a capacity issue. But on Zoom, you can have as many as you can. <laughs> Last year, we had four of them. So we had like on average 200 plus uh, nurses at each one of them. So that's 800 in new encounters. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you brought up the pandemic because the CRNA's role during mm -hmm. the pandemic has been profound. When we read the stories that are um, being shared across news media outlets, we do see this 
characterization of nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists. Um, we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about very specifically about CRNAs and their mm -hmm. roles. So many of the intubation teams have been led by CRNAs. They're part of the proning teams. They're educating others in the critical management of how you manage somebody on a ventilator. The pandemic has hit in so many different ways. People of color have been hit by this disease so disproportionately. And so you are at that really interesting intersection. Can you speak to the, the CRNA role right now on the front lines of the pandemic and how particularly the cohort that you have in addressing the disproportionate impact to, to our minority communities? Right. So in the past year, there have been two pandemics, when it, especially in, in communities of color. So you're dealing with COVID-19. You're also dealing with a social justice movement a lot of racism that's been revealed along the way. So for nurse anesthesia students, especially that's in nurse anesthesia programs, there was a very difficult year, right? So, because a lot of our families were impacted by COVID. We need to support them when they're going through a lot of pain. And I had to address that a couple of times with other nurse anesthesia programs across the country because they didn't know how to address that. I recall there was a nurse anesthesia student who she called me and she said, uh, Dr. Gould, can you come in on our Zoom call the next day? She said what she was worried about was that she would have to carry on the burden of talking to everybody about what it means to be Black and dealing with COVID and dealing with the social, you know, Black Lives Movement. And she said that she just felt like she didn't want that burden on her. And, and, and I understood exactly what that meant. Because the thing is, everybody's going to be looking at her for all the answers. She doesn't have all the answers. She's still, she's struggling just like I am, just like as a Black mother. And I don't even know if I'm, if the last time I see my son, is that going to be the last time he's going to be alive? And she's thinking the same thing because she has a son. She has a husband. So our, our issues are much different than somebody that's going into a nurse anesthesia program that don't look, look like right. us. Our issues are different for those that are CRNAs that for other people that we work with, because they don't have to worry about when they send their husband, go to the store and go get some milk, you know, you know, they coming back home, but I don't, I don't know that every day. And that's, that's a real issue. I had to start that conversation and say, listen, I am a CRNA, but I am a black woman first. Right. And, you know, so I, and so I had to talk to them about that. And I said, listen, when I was in nurse anesthesia program, I said, now it's just not about the pandemic, but it still goes on to this day. You do have nurse anesthesia students that deal with microaggressions all the time. Um, you do have students of color that, that have a, sometimes a difficult time when you, you know, when you're in clinical and you're being verbally challenged, everybody gets verbally challenged in nurse anesthesia program. But when you're a nurse anesthesia student of color, you get, you get verbally challenged even more. And that's putting it nicely. So, you know, you're dealing with a lot of other things that go on that your other classmates do not. When you were starting this mentorship program, mm -hmm. it was clearly focused on diversity and reaching out to underserved communities. Did you ever really imagine that this, you know, the, the discussion of racism within our workforce or within our care, that that would be one of the key pieces in your mentorship program? I didn't know then that we'll be able to mm -hmm. openly have this 
this discussion. Just last year, I spoke at a virtual AANA conference about nurse anesthesia students of color having a difficult time dealing with the racism and dealing with the microaggressions and uh, the social isolation sometimes, especially when you're in a class, in a, in, a, in a cohort where you're the only one. These are real issues that exist to this day. So I had to bring that up during our own anesthesia meeting because publicly we weren't even addressing that. Even when it comes to nurse anesthesia faculty of color, I, I bring that issue up all the time. That's a workforce problem. Are you, you being nurse anesthesia program, are you being intentional about the hiring process? That's the thing. That's the discussion that we should have. And that's the discussion that's, that no nurse anesthesia student should take on. I'll take on that. I'll take on that. But so you're that, out there and, asking these, these um, pointed and important questions. Right. Absolutely. What, what answers are you getting? Oh, my goodness. Well, it's hard. You know what? It's very hard when you are. Everything is virtual, right? You're not mm -hmm. seeing everybody like you would normally would have seen. And so you're not really getting that feedback. But the thing is, when it comes to changing culture, changing culture takes time. It's definitely a time element in this. It's, not, it's, it's something that you're not going to change overnight, right? I think what we need to do first is talk about the historical significance of what really happened and reasons why we're not diversified, because that is what we do not read in the nurse anesthesia programs. We don't read that a, a, at all. We don't read about the segregation back then. We don't read about that the AANA was started in 1931, but it wasn't until 1944 that they finally included members of color in, in, into the association. Information like that needs to be out there. It needs to be out there. Let, yeah, let's talk about diversity. Let's, let's do that. Let's, but let's understand our history. And then now let's move forward and talk about equity. I like that pipeline, the way you um, outlined that, which is working from a, a base of facts and and just being aware of them right and right. from that the education and understanding the the situation that we're in right and then yeah. when we address diversity the sooner we address diversity the sooner we're going to get to health equity right right i mean as soon as they as soon as they understand that the, the, there's structural racism that that's been set in place for decades <laughs> contributes to the disparities right? Um, there's a trust issue, but why is there a trust issue? Well, because of the racism, mm -hmm. because of the lack of representation that that's out here. Let's, let's talk about it in real terms. Not, let's not, you know, I don't want to read anymore about, you know, everything's great in nurse anesthesia because it's not, it's not when it comes to diversity, it's not. There's 54,000 CRNAs in the country and we as black CRNAs represent just less than 2% of that. And Hispanic CRNAs are 2.3. And the native nurse nurses across the country just represent 0.7% out of that 54,000. So there is a lot of work to be done when it comes to increasing diversity within the nurse anesthesia profession. I am hopeful, but I, I do believe that it takes a lot of effort on everyone's part. And that includes the universities too, because it's not just about increasing diversity student cohorts, it's about increasing the faculty as well. 
And that's something on their part that they have to do when it comes to nurse anesthesia faculty and also hiring clinical coordinators too. So I can do as much as I can, but there's another part of it too that the schools are going to have to commit to make and be very intentional about it. It's a total pipeline issue. Right. I mean, until we have a higher level of diversity across the entire nursing workforce, it makes it very hard. I mean, that's the entry gate. You don't get to be a nurse anesthetist without being a nurse. Right. That's true. So, and and it'll be a lot easier to have more nurses trained in those if we have faculty. That's that, right. So, so it's, it's just, it's a pipeline issue that begins with nursing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's what I do now. I'm more of a... I mean, I love the representation part. I love the effort that I'm doing to make sure that that increases the number. But, you know, there are other issues that are out here that needs to be addressed. And I'm going to be out there up front all the time speaking about it. All the time. Lena Gold is the founder and chief executive officer for the Diversity in Nurse Anesthesia Mentorship Program. From her own experience and research into the diversity gap in her profession, she made it her mission to inform, empower, and mentor underserved diverse populations with the information, support, and network they need to build a successful career in nurse anesthesia. It's grown into a national program that's been highly successful in mentoring hundreds of nurses of color and helping them matriculate and graduate from nurse anesthesia programs across the country and advance at all career and academic levels. Lena's program serves as a model to increase diversity and equity across the entire healthcare workforce. So what makes diversity in the healthcare workforce so important? It's not just good for patients. Diversity is good for the morale of our workforce and our learning cohorts. Heaven knows, healthcare workers need a morale boost right about now. Diversity creates a stronger feeling of inclusion in community, and it makes the workplace feel safer and more enjoyable. And no surprise, it boosts creativity, problem solving, and innovation. Having a wide range of perspectives, lived experiences, and social and professional networks lead to better solutions. As Lena understands so incredibly well, diversity in healthcare starts at the beginning, early in our education careers. And as she points out, it's important for students to see people who look like and have lives like them. And for that student to have access to those who can show what's possible, how it's possible, and help make it possible. That's how you change the trajectory. Lena also points out Innovating to build diversity, change the culture, and move toward equity takes time. Others who have studied innovation at length agree. In his insightful and timeless New Yorker essay, Slow Ideas, surgeon, writer, and public health researcher Atul Gawande asks, why do some innovations spread so swiftly and others so slowly? And how do you speed the slow ones? He sees a pattern that many of the important ideas and innovations, the ones that take on the major difficulties of the world, are not solved with a technology-based, frictionless, turnkey solution. Instead, those problems are solved over time with person-to-person relations, talking to people, 
slow, sustained, supportive conversations. He references the esteemed sociologist Everett Rogers, the one who introduced the term early adopter, and the one who showed that the diffusion of innovation is essentially a social process, that people follow the lead of other people they know and trust, that every major social shift requires effort, and the decision to make that effort is also a social process. And thankfully for healthcare, Lena Gould is out there on the diversity front, speaking up about it all the time and helping all of us to do the same. For See You Now, I'm Shauna Butler. Thanks for listening. Johnson & Johnson is proud to power up nurse-led innovation that is transforming health outcomes through skill building, leadership development, and more. The American Nurses Association ignites and celebrates nurse-led innovation to redefine quality nursing and advance health care for all. Learn more at seeyounowpodcast.com.